0: Make it. Can I hear Japanese? Easy. Japanese is probably one of my favorite ones to do. All <laughs> okay. right. I have to get prep for it. Ready? Yeah.
1: to my right. <laughs> Ooh, I, puppy. You know, you know how to do this with me. I wanna dance on your lap and maybe shake my pussy, pussy, pussy. Okay, stop okay, here I have to stop here. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, and welcome to Overtly Casual, the podcast brought to you by myself, Deck, and my brother Tyler. Yota, Ty, what's up?
0: Not much, man. Same old stuff, the usual. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a funny way to start the video, but I like it. Kind of a surprise to me. Didn't fill me in on that one, but <laughs> exciting from little, the down.
1: little <laughs> little numb fact that was a dialect expert uh, giving apparently a Japanese accent. Sounds uh, legit, no. to me. I'm no Gano, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Japanese. Uh, <laughs> that was Andrew Santino on uh, Brian Callen and Brendan Schaub's podcast, The Fighter and the Kid. I forget which episode. I don't know which episode. Uh, that what podcast you got going on?
0: Don't listen to it. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> it's my favorite. I like Brian Callen. I don't like Brendan Schaub. He's a douche. Brendan Schaub? Yeah, Brendan Schaub. I'm just kidding. I like on the on – the-
1: so on the YouTube comments, uh, he's always, like, he, the fans always mispronounce his name because Theo Vaughn, another comedian for the listeners, uh, Theo Vaughn always says, like, what's his name? Brandon? Brandon Schaub. Like, shit like that. And Brendan and uh, all that shit.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. Uh, he's related to Matt Schaub, who I'm pretty sure is, like, a, a West Virginia native who played fullback or something in the NFL. So – A lot of people are really familiar with him. But, yeah, anyways, uh, what have you had going on, man? What's been going on this week? Well, uh, this
1: week has felt like I thought today was Friday. This week's been pretty crazy. I've been uh, super fucking busy at work and at home. Uh, Got a flat tire at some point this week and uh, tried to get that fixed. I thought it was just a leak, a slow leak. Uh, it turns out I busted the wall of my tire, so fuck that. Uh, yeah, it's all been a blur. I don't really want to talk about work, but yeah, it's all all been a blur. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it sounds
0: like, like uh, 30- sounds like you, you have those old guy problems. So uh, I guess we'll go ahead and I'll tell you about my week. And, uh, you know, I've told everyone on the podcast I'm transitioning out of college and into my career. So this past week and the past couple of weeks, I've spent a lot of my time – Uh, Going back and forth with companies, scheduling interviews, doing phone interviews, assessments, tests online, all of that different jazz. Um, So, this week I actually had the opportunity to sit in person with a couple of companies. So, it's been stressful and exciting and fun. Uh, So, I figured we'd jump into some, you know, just kind of just talking about different interviews that we've done and what we think about it and like common HR practices and stuff like that.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Pleasant surprise, man.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so first of all, I'll tell you uh, about a company that I've had the opportunity to work with. Uh, I'm not going to disclose the company's name or anything like that, but it was a first for me. It was definitely interesting. Um, So it is a sales position, a technical sales position, for an automation and sensors company. So if you know uh, the manufacturing industry, they, the robots that are doing the work automatically, that's the industry, Mm -hmm. that's the industry. Like you're selling that product. Okay, they engineer the the automation. Um, Sort of like car
1: companies, Amazon, places like that. Everyone,
0: everyone is automating. So uh, that's what I've been told anyways. I, I never worked for the automation industry. Um, It's definitely something that I'm interested in. But anyways, back to it. One of the most interesting parts about this company uh, in the interview process is how increasingly complex it is. And, you know, I interviewed for Microsoft and made it to the last round of interviews before actually getting flown out. Uh, I didn't make it that far. Um, But this interview process has been much, much, much more in-depth, much more complex. But there's been more transparency and communication than like Microsoft. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to tell you about this. So uh, it's a technical sales position, like I said. And the first step of the interview is to have a recruiter do a pre-phone screen for you. So if you pass the screening, they move you forward to what's referred to as the Bennett Mechanical Test. And it's a physics-based physics slash mechanics test. And it's not super high level stuff, uh, but I was never familiar with the Bennett test. Um, I've never n- really done any work in physics or anything like that. So they send me a 55 question assessment. And I'm kind of curious as to what I'm even looking at for the first five questions. Somehow I passed. Right. So I passed the, the, the Bennett mechanical exam uh, and got moved forward. And today I encountered one of. The most challenging experiences that I've ever had in interviewing, and you know, I I feel like both of us we're both extroverts. I don't I mean I don't know if you would agree with that, but um, we're both Fuck yeah. yeah definitely we're both extroverts. Both uh, you know inherently confident people. Those situations don't really phase you, right? Going into an interview, usually um, a lot of people think that that's just God given talent. It's not. You still have to prepare for an interview, practice break it down. It's all hard work. But at the same time, it's a little easier when you're an extrovert. So I've never really struggled with that, but I make it to the last step of this interview process. Right. And they send me to a piece of software called HireView. and on my webcam. uh, So I enter the software, create an account, blah, 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 all that stuff. And I have to look at the camera and I'm dressed in my suit and all this stuff. And at first, I think someone's going to be on the other side. Instead, the computer prompts me with questions. I have 30 seconds to prepare my question and three minutes to explain my question. And they recommend you use all three minutes. And you have six questions. So 18 minutes of looking at my fucking computer webcam while watching myself, like the feedback from the video. It was one of the most challenging things I've ever done.
1: You know, that's interesting, dude, because it's funny you say it. And this is totally not pre-planned. Uh, For the listeners, this wasn't pre-planned. This was a surprise. I'm like three fingers into uh, some Tito's vodka right now, or else I would have been more prepared. Um, But I always have a, as many of you may know, I went through the job interview search last, uh, around Thanksgiving time frame. Uh, It was around a three-month hiring process for the company that I went with. Um, I had a similar situation on my side, but yours was... As I understand, a robot, right?
0: Yeah, it was a robot. So they've automated everything down to their freaking interview process.
1: Okay. So while efficient, that sucks for the interviewee, especially if you're, you know, if you're a recruit for these guys, it's like, man, that's, that's tough. I'd put that in a critique because mine, uh, so I went through mine. I had a lady uh, by the name of Beth, who was my designated, uh, the company that I went with uh, they were awesome. So I, I that sounds like a miserable interview process. Well, I hope you get the job. Um, it's a great job. It is something that, dude, you're gonna be selling that shit to Burger King in like two years, right? They're gonna uh, automate flipping burgers. I'm pretty sure some have in more uh, populated places. But, um, <clears throat> I hope you get the job. But like, I had a much more pleasurable experience, uh, if that's the right word, because. My company designated me a an assistant, and my my assistant Beth actually connected me with the guy that was going to interview me. I went through a couple different interview processes. First, uh, I met the initial scrutiny, uh, the resume scrutiny. I passed that one. Then I went to a phone interview with a uh, recruiter who further hashes out and verifies details and stuff like that. And then I went to a web interview, a webcam interview, uh, with a, a human in my case, God, it's 2019. We got to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so I went, I went to a web interview with a human, but he was under the impression that it was a phone interview or something along those lines. Like his, his schedule was busy. Now it's aviation. So everyone's schedule, like you fit into an aviator schedule, where you fit in, especially uh, in the, in the line of work that I do, right? So um, he there was a uh, confliction, uh, there was a conflict in his schedule, and he was not he didn't have a webcam available. And I come into the I go into the webcast. They have their own special website. I'm sure you went through the same thing. It's like a dedicated web host that has their interviews. Uh, and i I see myself. But he says, hey, man, you can cut your webcam off, blah, 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 blah. And I had the opposite. Could you see yourself in yours? Sh-
0: yeah, I had feedback so I could see myself. So,
1: so it actually helped me to see myself. I said, uh, I'm, I'll give him a name. Uh, full disclosure, Beth was not her real name. I will give the, the guy that interviewed me a different name as well. Uh, so Mark interviews me and he says, Hey man, cut your webcam off. I can just interview you uh, via audio. And I was like, Hey, you know what? Actually, it's going to give me something to look at. I'm just going to look at the blue light on my laptop. Uh, if, if that's cool with you. So it actually helped me doing that. Now, would it help me if it was a computer on the other end?
0: Right. And you know,
1: nah, uh, nah.
0: Yeah. Well, let me, let me offer you this also um, getting that verbal feedback from the guy. Um, he's giving you verbal cues that you're saying the right thing or not saying the right thing. He is asking for more more details. You do not have these things. You have uh, a blank statement and a follow-up. And dude, I'm telling you, it was intense. But I will tell you this. uh, Let's let's think about it. Let's think about this critically and kind of think about the opposite in here. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, the CEO of this company is worth $16.4 billion. Okay. He is... A huge player in Japan. It's a Japanese company. Um, So, you know, the guy knows what he's doing. They know how to recruit top talent or they would not be one of the top 25 companies in their industry globally. Right. So I'm thinking I'm like, they know what they're doing here by identifying top talent, because uh, if you want a true salesperson, you want someone that can handle the pressure, can be in those awkward scenarios. And, you know, one of the questions was so I had my external mic plugged up to my laptop for better audio quality. And one of the questions was, think about a piece of consumer technology, find it and sell it to me. You have thirty seconds to assess it. They did not tell you to bring consumer technology with you. So either you pull out your cell phone and sell it to them or something. But I, I, I uh, impromptu come up came up with a uh, a sell for my eBerry mic, which you know I think I did pretty shitty. In that interview, but uh, I've thought about it. Sell me. The mic. I,
1: sell me the mic. Right
0: now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sell you the mic right now? No, thank you. Um, I, I went through. I went through that process myself today. I can go ahead and uh, I can give you a rundown of what I said, just roughly. Um, sure. So, I first I created the need. That was my first gut instinct as a marketing major. So I, uh, I'm saying, okay, you're communicating either through a laptop or a computer. Those mics are subpar, and I have something that can fulfill your needs even better than the one that you have right now. The reason why I like this mic is because it's versatile. You can use it for pretty much anything from phone calls to voiceover to audio recordings. And shoot, I even used it for my last podcast with excellent audio quality. And, uh, you know, I went a little further into detail with the specifications of. The mic and things like that because i actually considered this prior to that i was like they're gonna ask me to sell something so i was like i'm gonna sell this mic so i thought about a couple of things uh about it looked at the specifications so i was well prepared but i will tell you um i rambled and uh i felt awkward and you know overall it was it was challenging i would not say that it's wrong From a recruiting spec uh, perspective, I think that they could identify good candidates like that. I think that that is effective.
1: So so question, uh, speaking to the interview process with these guys. So with regards to the human machine interface, the HMI, with regards to that, when you, you so you had a full three minutes to respond, right? When that when you say you only use two minutes of it. What was the cue for the computer to proceed to the next question? Was it a verbal cue? Like I have finished this question or was it a c- computer click? I had to click. Did you have to click?
0: Yeah, I had to, I had to, uh, yeah, which was, uh, easy. which was awkward because like I'm smiling at the camera trying to appear to be attentive and energetic lean forward, okay. But to, to be into the wide frame of my webcam, I had to sit back into my chair, right. And I had to, uh, yeah. have my chair backed up. So I had to take
1: that's constant shifting. That's constant shifting, which is not good for a traditional human to human interview.
0: Right. Um, yeah. The, the details of it need to be worked out. And I think that it's more of a software issue because uh, the company was hired externally. It's called HireVue. It's a third party company that any uh, business can use to perform their interviews and analyze it. And, you know, it's simply an ROI thing. Uh, they are using this service to eliminate the cost of recruiting and the hiring process. They, they do not have to have as many HR managers, but what I will tell you about this position, um, you know, obviously without stating any specifics, their offer for my starting pay is around double the average uh, income that a college graduate will make all across the United States and about, Let's say about 40 grand more than any offer that I have uh, currently. So they have some very attractive things, but I will say that it could be a little the lack of interpersonal communication is strange to say the least, it's strange.
1: I, I think that I think that for improving HMI, for improving, Going forward, how they how they have the human machine interface running, uh, I think they could eliminate more people if they set the initial instructions to a, a time constraint as well. Because it, I'm assuming there was an instruction page that was that said, "Hey, to proceed, click next. Uh, if you don't use the allotted time, click next, or it will automatically proceed after three minutes." Blah 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 blah. I think they would eliminate a, a solid chunk of people who don't have the IQ to keep up. If they would just make it to where you had an audio cue, because that, that in and of itself, I think would eliminate a lot of people because, I mean,
0: you know, with the, especially in the tech
1: industry, uh, if you don't know what an audio cue is, right, being in the tech industry. Or being like college students typically know um, guys that are in the 21st century, right? If you're in 2019, you know what an audio cue is. You know what a, a tip, whatever you name it. Basically, they give an in-depth description. Uh, it can assess your your literacy and your ability to follow instructions right there it proceeds to the first question you can deliver the audio cue or not and then if you don't deliver the audio cue it just sits for the next a minute and a half after you uh after you answer the question and you're like, okay, when's the next question? Blah, blah, blah. I, th- I think, and obviously we're not speaking to the company here, but I think that'd be good for
0: them. Well, I think that the company in particular in this scenario, you know, I, I, I think that's a great point and I see exactly where you're coming from, but I think in this particular scenario, they solved the IQ problem from the fucking start when they made you take the Bennett's mechanical exam, a physics-based exam, uh, For someone who has never taken a physics class in his life. So, uh, you know, to be completely fair, like I said, it wasn't extremely difficult. It was mainly logic and being able to break that down, uh, break different scenarios down and things like that. And like weight distributions and stuff like that. So it was pretty simple stuff. I wouldn't say common knowledge, but logic. So the IQ problem, I think, was solved there. Uh, I I couldn't really imagine that someone with a low IQ is going to move forward from that. And again, like I said, the initial interview where we're getting phone screen, those recruiters are looking for specific personality traits. And what I think that the purpose of the webcam interview, the recorded webcam interview, is to determine if you can be that same person when you're under pressure and on the spot. You ever have you ever been? Uh, so I'm gonna give an example here. Have you ever been presenting, and you didn't prepare as well as you should have, or you know it was it was kind of on the spot, and you're presenting, and you totally choke, you turn red, and you just start to like burn, and you're just lost, and you're like, oh my god, and then you get this, <laughs> then you get this negative feedback loop going, and then you say nothing, paralysis through analysis, right?
1: Yeah, so that's a big crutch in adult learning, right? So in the in the trade that I'm in, I'm a I am a uh, basically I'm an adult teacher, right? I teach adults, uh, people who are ver- over eighteen, typically nineteen to thirty year olds, on how to do certain things, right? And so being an adult teacher, you deal with that every day. The last time that I dealt with that, I I, I remember it to this day, man, and ever since. I prepare ever since I prepared the utmost that I can. Right. And so I always have a pocket speech right now. Everything I do is prepared for because of this one singular moment that was so insignificant to everyone else. But so monumental to me. Uh, I was 19 years old and uh, <clears throat> my boss, I'll call him a boss for the sake of the civilian realm. Uh, but my, my NCO, my non-commissioned officer in charge said, Hey, Dak, you're going to brief, uh, flight safety with regards to flying in the mountains. Now I took this as, uh, we were all about to go on what's called commander directed time off. And that is two weeks that you get off after a high workload, right? You, it's two weeks. The government has assessed that under high stress environments, Under uh, situations where you've been, you know, working, you know, 14 hour days for three months straight, you should have some time off that doesn't count towards your annual leave, your annual vacation. uh, That is just directed time off that the government has said it is more important for us to give you this time off than to keep you for these two weeks. So we were about to go on that. And I asked everyone, hey, who's flying in the mountains who, who's going to go do general aviation? So flying a Cessna, flying the uh, general aviation aircraft is basically any civilian plane that isn't used for commercial purposes. Uh, so private pilots, basically. I asked all of our private pilots, hey, you're going to be flying in the mountains? No, you're not going to be flying in the mountains. The brief that I gave was supposed to last 30 minutes, unbeknownst to me, because I didn't prepare. And <clears throat> I gave a brief that was essentially this. It was 15 seconds, basically. Followed by about 15 minutes of me standing in front of people answering questions. I didn't know the answer to, I thought because I didn't prepare that it was just for people that were going to be flying in the mountains. Well, it was supposed to be for our military aircraft flying near mountains. I didn't ask the question. Man. Yeah. So, so I get up there and I, I get up there and I say, yeah, uh, well, we don't have anybody who's flying there. So, uh, yeah, guys, be safe, enjoy your time, and uh, it was good seeing you. And it was in front of like 30 people, and then I just got berated with questions. And people people who would be the equivalent of your regional manager, right, they were like, what are you doing? And I was 19, I was brand new, Like, and they're like, what in the fuck is going on here? So from then on out, I, I prepared, and uh, it's something I keep in my back pocket. I still remember it to this day. Insignificant to everyone else there, but very oh, monumental to you me.
0: You do not forget those those moments it's, if I could relate it to anything, if I had an analogy, it would be some fat dude holding you down and shoving a big fat piece of humble pie down your suck hole. It sucks. It's horrible. Um, yeah. So, and, and it's things that you don't forget. And I I have a similar story here. I'll give you the 50 cent version. So I overestimated myself, which is something that I often do. I throw myself uh, into uncomfortable situations which I've learned to grow through. And that is one thing that I think will always benefit you. I don't think that you should shy away from challenges and especially when they're difficult challenges. And I actually, uh, I feel like I prepared adequately for the time frame. So I participated in a business pitch challenge, 90 seconds to pitch a business. I registered with three days to go. They needed more uh, more participation from business students because there was a ton of other students from other departments. So they come to me, ask me to do it. I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I registered with three days to go. Mind you, the entrepreneurship classes here are doing it as a class. So the whole class is developing business plans and building it all semester. I built mine in three days. And I prepared.
1: This was the water model pitch, right?
0: Yeah, uh, it, was, it was actually called Key. It was... Uh, um, a mineral drink that I had uh, formulated that was inspired by Aubrey Marcus's mineral morning mineral cocktail, essentially. Um, and we'll talk about that more later once we go over the Own Your Day, Own Your Life book. We'll talk about that one day. But um, essentially, I get in front of this crowd of people. I've had three days to perform, I uh, mean, to prepare. And they all these kids go out there and they do such an excellent job. It was awesome. Uh, it's like a shark tank panel a uh, business professor showed up and they're asking a ton of questions. So in detail. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I knew it. As soon as I got in there, I'm like, I'm fucked. But I got there anyways. And I did absolutely horrible on my 92nd pitch. The first 15 seconds was perfect. And had, had I pitched that 90 seconds, the way I prepared it, then I would have went home with the first place prize. But uh, I froze in front of the crowd. I started to get hot, got that negative feedback, but I took a deep breath, inhale, exhale. I planned for that. I knew that it was going to happen. So took a deep breath, brushed the embarrassment off of my shoulder, continued, finished my speech, and they asked me questions, and I absolutely killed the questions uh, compared to how horrible I did throughout the presentation. And I walked out of there getting third place um, and some cash a cash prize, which is supposed to be used as like seed money, but uh, I just did it for fun. So I got the cash prize and a big piece of humble pie that I just talked about and learned a lot. So yeah, definitely. That's my experience with failing with public speaking.
1: Yeah. So after I did my web interview, so again, full disclosure, um, the company that I, uh, got hired with, I'll be going after I transition out of the military to work for in September. Uh, they were the first company that I applied to. And they called me back within two business days. Uh, it was, you know, maybe the luck of the draw, luck of the timing. Uh, but essentially, I didn't expect to hear back. And I damn sure didn't expect to pass the phone interview, you always feel like shit. Right. And then, uh, after the web interview, which I felt went really good. I, even then I discounted myself. Um, so after doing the web interview and I'll, I'll break down like what I did to prepare for it and what like YouTube videos I watched and stuff like that. Uh, I, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but I wrote down a couple things that, I took away from that that was really they were these things were really important to me moving on into the next interview. Because remember, I I thought I wasn't getting the job. So I was like, okay, in the next interview, here's what I'm going to do. Would you mind if I asked you about like these things that I wrote down? I have an iPad and I put all my notes in. It's basically my second brain. Right. I'm essentially a cyborg that just has an external hard drive that has everything. It's called an iPad. Right. So would you mind if I asked you? Uh, If you did these things and then you elaborate on the statements that I have written. Go for it, man. All right. Sweet. So, number one, I have researched these specifics. Do you feel like you did that effectively?
0: Are you uh, talking? Is is this pertaining to my interview today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I did research the specifics and I think that I could have went a little bit deeper into it. But a lot of that industry information was private, so I didn't want to dig too deep. Um, But, yeah, I think I adequately prepared in that way.
1: Okay. How about this one? Know your interviewer. And in parentheses, I have LinkedIn. I could have. So my interviewer, I knew in advance who he was. I'd been given by Beth the name of the individual. So Mark is what we're going to call him. Beth gave me Mark's name, his first name and his last name. And after our interview, I looked him up on LinkedIn. I could have known so much about him going into it. Just like kind of gauge the questions that he would ask. Cause there was a general knowledge assessment. Uh, he asked me aircraft basics, basically uh, shit like that. Right. Uh, I could have known more about this guy, but I just did not do my due diligence. I've never done that before. Um, did you know your interviewer going into it?
0: Um. So the initial interviewer I did because she contacted me on LinkedIn before we connected. I checked out her LinkedIn profile, much like you. I think that we're both a huge proponent of LinkedIn. And if anyone's listening right now and you don't have a LinkedIn and you're doing a career search now or soon, you're, you're missing out big time. I actually had a professor the other day recommending indeed.com uh, selling it so hard. And I'm like, does this lady not even know what LinkedIn is? Like that's a,
1: she living in the fucking early two thousand. That's what I'm man. saying,
0: and, and and I have more to talk about about her. I definitely do. I really, um, I think that there's a couple of things that I didn't like about uh, what she was saying in class the other day in our human resources class. But also, uh, back to the point. Yeah, I knew the interviewer before that, and I knew going in that I was going to be uh, speaking to myself essentially, recording. So, in that aspect, yeah, I, okay. I knew the interviewer.
1: Okay. Awesome. Um, now, there is a list, right, out floating out there in the Internet, in the Internet that I had no idea about. And number three was review the list of the most common interview questions. And um, one of the, the top one I put in parentheses, know why you're leaving your current job. Now I knew this offhand, but I had to kind of, I kind of ad hoc. I kind of like on the fly said why I was leaving the military. Cause the military provides a lot of security. We get paid. Well, uh, everything's paid for. I, I get incentive pays, Like I make really good money, especially comparatively, right? The average, the median household income of uh, in West Virginia is 35 grand. That's both parents working. Right. So um, and that's not all the numbers that are factored in, but the the statewide median household income is thirty five grand, um, and anybody can look this up. I'm a staff sergeant in the military. Uh, that is fifteen grand below what I make right now. I have some incentive pays that boost that up, right? So there's probably. Uh, three or $4,000 a year that I get that most staff sergeants don't, but that's, that's menial, right? That's still well above that. So I had to answer why I was leaving my current job. And that was something that was a little difficult uh, to answer on the fly. Did you review the list of the most common interview questions? Did you, did you look into that?
0: No. So I actually didn't review any type of list for interview questions and things like that. Like you just mentioned, why are you leaving your current employer? A lot of times, and, you know, I think that in the industry that you're in and your sort of transition, it doesn't explain at all. But being that I'm transitioning out of college and my position here is more like an internship or a cooperation, a co-op, I think it's kind of self-explanatory in that aspect. But, yeah, it definitely helps to go over commonly asked interview questions. I feel like I've done so many at this point, though, that it is kind of self-explanatory, you know? And and, and, and I kind of sound like an asshole by saying that, but I've also, like, I've taken a couple classes in building interview skills, and I go to, like, career workshops and things like that. So whenever I do actually Google that sort of stuff to try to personally develop, it's just kind of like a rerun. And like I said, these companies always find an interesting way to throw you a curveball.
1: That's that's for damn sure they they do. Um so the next one, I think the next couple things I have written down uh are these and again, these aren't things that I necessarily did wrong. They're just tips and tricks that maybe I picked up as I went along. Uh so the next one that I have is be kind, be charming. That how is that with the rope?
0: Oh, you know what? That is super ironic that you mentioned that. So this morning I'm talking to my boss and He's the director of networking here at the university that I go to. So just to give you an idea of his technical prowess. And I'm asking him, I'm like, how do I communicate with this machine? Like, you know, like, how am I going to create, portray myself? And he was like, dude, you're a ladies man. Just act like you're charming a woman. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess that's one way. Uh, So, I mean, kind of the same thing as the simple rules of communication eye contact so you're looking at the webcam and if you were in person make that eye contact i always like to think to myself uh, that it's a competition when you're making eye contact with people you don't want to be imposing and be a dick obviously you act charming but you also maintain steady eye contact people respect that and they appreciate it so i try to do that too and like you said just kind of keep that charm
1: yeah um okay so perfect example eye contact right so the next one that i have uh, oh actually i skipped over one so i have uh after that which you've mentioned already be concise do not ramble
0: yeah so i think that that is great advice that's advice that i need to follow a lot of times i tend to ramble i'm trying to work on being more concise and uh particularly for these sales positions, because people people aren't going to be able to understand you if you can't break it down quickly and simply. So uh, that's something that I'm definitely trying to work on. I mean, if you have any tips on how to do that, go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Off the top of my head, the biggest thing that I can say towards being concise is you don't know what you don't know. So, give a quick spiel on what you do know, and then see the reaction. Uh, open up, listen, right? If you're in a human interview, give your answer. So, in taking a test, and and you've spent four years in interview uh, at university, so I'm sure you know this. The first answer that you go with is typically right, especially in something that you had to study that doesn't require technical reasoning um, or critical thinking. If it is just a recite from memory question. And if you've done your preparation and you've looked at the interview list and you've, you've thought about what you're going to say in the interview, that's basically what this is, is recite from memory in a way that is charming, that is kind. Um, If you've done your preparation and you're kind, then you can recite from memory, right? So being, being concise is reciting without rambling is, is explaining without explaining, right? It's giving your position and then listening, to the other person.
0: I think that that's a great point. And, you know, going back to being charming and going back to really listening, those are two things that can typically conflict because when you're trying to be charming, some people have it and some people don't. So don't go in there and oversell yourself. Don't hype yourself. Don't be that guy. Cause you'll come off as a douchebag. And, uh, I went into an interview the other day, just for example, it was for an operations management position. And by the time I was leaving, I truly felt like the guy was eating out of my hand. And, you know, regardless of the offer or what the company has to offer, I knew that I made a good impact on the guy. By the time I left, he actually even told me, he's like, I really appreciated how forthright you were with all of your answers. And you were super elaborate and really killed the answers. So and the biggest thing that I had to do was tickle his ego a little bit. Let him talk about things that he wanted to talk about uh, and engage it with like meaningful answers. Like you said, concise, only talk about things that you know how to talk about. He asked me about some things that I had no clue. And we had a couple of things in common that we talked about and kind of went on with. But for the most part, I only answered questions that I knew the answer to and let him talk about the rest. And he liked to talk. So it worked perfect.
1: Yeah, there's a reason they are the guys that do the vetting. It's not because they're introverts. It's because they're extroverts. So they're going to talk as much as you want them or as much as you let them. So um, especially you're taking an hour of their time out of their day, right? At least you're taking an hour of their time out of their day. Make it enjoyable. How you do that is you, you just be kind, be concise, do your preparation, uh, know what's coming, uh, which leads into the next one, body language, right how was giving your body language to um the webcam interview that you did with a robot basically
0: um so essentially i just followed the rules that i typically follow when going to a job interview in terms of posture and how i'm portraying myself same thing like i said eye contact whenever you're sitting in your seat don't slump down be attentive sit at that very edge of the seat Pay attention. Show them that you're engaged. And uh, the attention is the most important part. Showing the people that you're there, which can be difficult to do through these mediums, especially through webcam uh, and these machines and different interfaces. It can be incredibly difficult. But as long as you're hitting the big picture, that you're showing that you're being attentive and your attention to details. you know?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to ask you something. During the interview, with regards to your body language, were your arms ever crossed?
0: No, not at all. And uh, okay, you know I'm a big so that's a that's a no-no. Yeah, absolutely. So we can we can go ahead and talk about that. So crossing your arms, slumping down, having weak posture, uh, putting your hands in your pockets, rubbing your knees, touching yourself too much, smacking your fingers together, rubbing your palms. In general, just stay calm, relax, take a couple deep breaths put your hands where they're supposed to be and use them when necessary. You know, a couple of times throughout my interview, which can be difficult to do when communicating with a machine, I would use my hands to send the point home when it was most important. I'm not flailing my hands and chopping at it, uh, which, you know, can come off as disrespectful. I'm using my hands as a tool to convey my message. Uh, so for example, if I'm displaying how, magnificent the eberry microphone is and all of the specifications about it that make it stand out i'm going to use my hand to present it to people correct
1: yeah uh and that's a good point i use so particularly even as we speak right now i'm using my hands um i use my hands with my knuckles facing towards the guys Right. So towards the interviewer, towards whoever I'm teaching something to, uh, any interaction that I have, if it is a an interaction that requires me to be uh, knowledgeable in something, kind, respectful, concise, I use my hands as knuckles towards my hands are open. Uh, They're not up in a defensive posture and they're not pointing t- in an offensive posture. They're neutral. They're pointing at each other inward, and I have my knuckles towards them, and my hands are open, and I'm, I'm basically using my hands to elaborate my point.
0: Right, absolutely, and this is uh, this is really a good topic of conversation. It's important to be present and to be powerful without – coming off as imposing and trying to be dominant and that's what it is
1: it's punctuation not power right my hands my hands punctuate my point even with the cadence of my voice my hands go with the cadence of my voice if I speed it up my hands move a little differently it and it's never power it's never imposing it is simply punctuation right and now in, in even in the even in me sounding out punctuation just now my hands opened in that punctuation, right? Um, so it that it's it's the marker to the end of a sentence, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, dude. It's punctuation. And I think that that's a great way to put it, quite literally. And, you know, you can take it a couple different ways, how that is really sending the point home and kind of finishing it off. But also to that point, I think that it's interesting, you know, the psychology of interviews, how you can put, so what I would consider the two, the people, the person that I interviewed with the other day, interviewed with, sorry, the other day, I would consider him to be a very like alpha male personality, very extroverted, very, you know, kind of like a macho guy. And I would consider myself to attempt to at least portray myself to be that way, how you can put them into the same room and it can create perfect harmony and they can communicate effectively without bashing heads. And I think that the most important aspect between that is understanding and you have to create that understanding and that kind of harmony. It takes two people to play in that game when there's budding personalities, which in business is a really common problem because, you know, your winners are the people who turn out to be successful. So it it takes both people playing an active role in being diligent and intelligent and logical with their approach. And I saw that from that guy and I I really greatly appreciated the way that that guy conducted the interview. He was spot on, like perfect.
1: Nice. Now my last and uh, the last note that I have in my little notepad, um, shout out to Apple for giving you a notepad that you can draw on and shit like that. Um, The last note that I have, which was very beneficial to me what And which I can imagine was beneficial during your phone interview with the recruiter, but kind of uh, less beneficial with the robot is have a list of questions for your interviewer. What do you think about what do you think about the preparation for the robot versus the uh, did, did it ask you the questions for your interviewer or what?
0: Uh, I think that that's definitely a no brainer and no it did not allow you to ask questions. That is something that you did in the pre-screening. All questions that you had were to be conducted throughout the pre-screening. Uh, and they're incredibly transparent. They passed a lot of information on to you from the beginning, from salary to benefits and other things that people usually withhold until you get an offer. So the questions uh, were not necessary. It was pretty fairly straightforward. So, ah, oh, man. Pretty much what I just prepared for by the end there, I preserved a, an extra 30 seconds to say, hey, thank you guys for this opportunity. I look forward to you guys reviewing my submission, and uh, I'm super excited about where you guys are going. I preserved 30 seconds to say that. But yeah, no, if it was an in-person interview, you're interviewing that person as well. That's something that not a lot of people acknowledge. And in, in the world, in this competitive environment, you know, I have the opportunity to take a job wherever I want, doing whatever I'm doing. So I'm interviewing you. You got to show me what, why I should work here.
1: Yeah, my interviewer, Mark, um, he did a great job at not only interviewing me, so seeing what I'm selling. He did a great job at selling the company as well. Um, and and I had some questions prepared for him, but most of those were answered before I even got the question or before I even got to the part where I could ask him the questions. Right. So typically it's at the end. He says, hey. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Yada yada yada. Um, the questions that I would suggest for guys to have are questions with regards to. And and if you're getting these questions, if you're getting these questions answered prior to the question phase, you're doing a great job, right? You've nailed the interview. Um, I asked the questions of, uh, or or I was I had planned to ask the questions of you know, what's the living like? well, What What is the local area like? Where should I live if if you guys decide to hire me? But that is more of, I know that I nailed this interview. It can come off as cocky if you didn't. Um, that's more of, I know that I, I nailed this interview. That's something that Mark gave to me. Um, so I would kind of reserve that for only if you know you crushed it. Uh, the, but the big ones are what are your opportunities for growth within the company?
0: Oh, Both no. as you literally just stole my, uh, my end of the interview question, no matter how it goes, good or bad. That's a necessary yeah, question. No matter how it goes,
1: what are the opportunities for growth? How can I help you and how can you help me? Um, and, and some more menial tasks that require a little more attention than you want to dedicate to them but are very important, especially as a young guy. Like You don't give a fuck about this, but it is something that you should give a fuck about. Um, what's your healthcare like? How much do you guys provide healthcare? And if you do, what are the plans like? How much is it going to cost me? Is it going to cost me 400 bucks, or is it going to cost me 1200 bucks? Now, it doesn't sound like a large disparity, right? But it is a large one, dude. That's three times as much. Some companies have that difference. Um, yeah, and I, I think
0: that that's, it, for me... Uh, You know, your industry is different and your experience is different. Um, I can tell a lot of differences in your interviews from mine, and I think that's one of them. You may have the power to and, you know, the skills and the career experience to be able to negotiate pay ahead of time. I almost think that's inappropriate for me. Um, I'll negotiate pay once there's an offer on the table.
1: So I, I was given the uh, opportunity in the phone interview to negotiate pay. Yes. Um, now, that's a little bit more of an awkward one. And Honestly, in my situation, this was the first time I was negotiating pay, and now I'm negotiating pay at a rate that is significantly higher than what I make right now. I'm talking two to three times as much as I'm paid now. And so that was a little daunting. If you're ever put in a position where you have to negotiate pay, have a number going in. This is, here's, I'll give you exactly what I told my recruiter, and, and I'll give her the name Leslie. Okay. Um, that's not her real name, but that is the name I'm going to give her. So Leslie says, um, you know, and, and what could you expect to make at this company with the level of experience you have? And for the listeners, I'm at the highest level you can be within my respective community, uh, apart from experience, right? I have six years of experience in my in, in my area of expertise, but with regards to certifications, I'm at the highest level you can be. Uh, so with that, I knew that I could make a little more money, but also I was willing to not make as much as I could just to get, in a, foot in, get a foot in the door with this certain company. Um, that goes into your preparation what's this company's longevity, which you've talked about, you're excited to be uh, part of what you're excited about, what you know the company, the respective company that you interviewed with. Um, it's part of the research. I was willing to take a pay cut compared to other competitors uh, due to the fact of their longevity. Now I've done my research, so I, I asked competing companies uh, em, you know employees, Uh, how long they had been at the company. And and then what I had gotten was all two years, three years, five years. But with this particular company, the answers that I were getting 10, 12, 15 years, these guys have been with the company. So longevity was important Mm -hmm. to me. So I just wanted to foot in the door. So I went in with a number. Uh, I went in with not only a, a minimum number, but a maximum number. Uh, now, ill-advised for sure, but uh, get, give the company a range. If you have the leeway, if you have the experience and the certifications to to negotiate pay, go in with a window. Go in with your min number, your max number. Uh, maybe don't tell them your max number because the company's a company. They still want to make money, right? But go in with a min number.
0: Well, and, and, uh, you know, Dak, it's important. I think it's important to note. I think that that is... Uh, Absolutely crucial to salary negotiations, but I think it's also important to note that this isn't a wish list like this is uh, well researched. You should know the industry average. You should know what people who have your same qualifications make. And, you know, you may see yourself as being more qualified or better than those people, but it's all about how you look on paper. And it was a great point considering the longevity. Take the lower pay with the opportunity to grow right, always take the lower pay with the opportunity to grow. I'm not going to take the highest paying job if it's volatile.
1: Yeah, man. And, and, and I see a lot of guys in my industry doing exactly that. They take the, the volatile jobs that are paying, you know, you know, 1. 1.5, 1. 1.7 as much, right? They're, they're getting these higher salaries starting out, but really their longevity is limited to two to five years. And in two to five years, man, I'm going to be 26 to 28. And at 28 years old, if I'm unemployed, well, God dang. And I passed up on those opportunities, whereas my peers may enter this company that's going to give you maybe 30 grand less, but they're going to give you the opportunity for growth to where 10 years from now, you're going to make... 60 grand more than the guys that you started with, right? Yeah, and this, uh,
0: this is the premise of furthering your skills in education as well. Um, You know, a lot of people are going to tell me, I've realized going uh, out into the workforce, uh, I think a typical argument is, you know, I make the same money as you. I don't have a college degree or student loan debt, which I've been lucky enough to avoid myself. But uh, a lot of these kids are coming out with student loans and all this stuff. And people are going to say that. But at the same time, having a bachelor's degree is going to make you X amount more by the time you are 65. I think it's somewhere around a million dollars and a master's degree. It's going to be even more than that. The industry averages are simply higher. So like you just said, it's an investment. You might take a loss, but the opportunity cost of taking that job short term is going to be beneficial long term.
1: Yeah. And that's a big thing. to That's that's part of the preparation. That's part of what you do as someone who's going to be a potential employee, as an interviewee, as someone who's really just looking out for yourself, because you're talking about a million dollars over the span of a career. Okay. That's a million dollars that you could have invested. Most guys that pull retirement, they pull a pension. They're looking at 2.5, something like that million dollars In their total expected pension so if you can invest a million dollars over that time frame imagine how it's gonna it's gonna pay you dividends god damn dude we're gonna be 65 20 or 40 some odd years from now you know like the investment return that you're gonna get I mean even in a a low-yield like low volatile uh, investment firm right you're gonna get you know, three to 7%, three to 7% over 40 years on a million dollar investment. It's obviously not going to be that. It's going to be increments, right? But even then it's so much more money, even on a pension.
0: Well, consider this, and this is, this is kind of, you know, unrealistic. Well, it actually is 100% unrealistic and not only statistically unlikely, but improbable, but the average rate of return for the market right now is anywhere from eight to 12%. And if you compound that interest, uh, considering the opportunity cost of losing your job versus staying employed for five extra years and using 10 percent of your income, dude, that is worth nearly a million dollars by the time that you reach retirement alone. So, you know, and we'll we'll do a rundown, uh, a podcast on financial literacy and understanding these basic concepts uh, soon. And I think that that would be a good topic to jump into. And I know that we have a couple of other talking points um, that we can dive into. But before I transition into those, something that we should consider is these are topics that we could dive into for an entire episode like we just did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And prior to moving on, I want to ask you something. And this is the biggest talking points for both of our experience level, because we both have. Um, you, you're about to graduate college. Uh, you're the president of a fraternity. You've won multiple president or uh, uh, university president awards. Um, I'm a decorated uh, military guy. Like, I don't know what you want to say. Decorated veteran. Here we go. Um, that's easily digestible veteran, for, the, for the listeners. Man, veteran. Yeah, bro vet. Anyway, so I'm a decorated veteran uh, with multiple, uh, uh, you know, a a, a metric shit ton of uh, quite literally a shit ton of awards, whatever. Um, (coughs) So, no, but actually, uh, so I'm a decorated guy that has multiple leadership awards. That's the little promo of our validation to answer these next questions. What is the biggest mistake you see guys making? leaving a fraternity and entering the workforce? What is the biggest interview mistake? What, whatever, but job search mistake that you see guys making going into the interview process, the hiring process for uh, companies.
0: I think, you know, relevant to my experience, which as you stated, I'm a college student and I'm involved in a fraternity. I think that the biggest problem for these guys transitioning into the real world, if you will, in business is that they value themselves much more than the market values them. And what I mean by that is that the market doesn't appreciate a liberal arts degree that doesn't like someone who has no technical skills and these statistical averages online will tell you, hey, a bachelor's degree is worth a $50,000 salary. It's worth a $65,000 salary. That's what these kids expect. They don't expect that they actually have to build technical skills, that they have to get their feet dirty, you know, uh, and, and do the things like I've done. I, I fortunately got experience with technology earlier and uh, developed a trade skill, if you will. Um, so that I could develop further up and understand the environment. And a lot of these guys think that they're managers and leaders and that they're ready for that. But I think that they're more entry level, you know, I'm not saying that they're minimum wage workers by any stretch of the imagination, but I also don't think that they're executives or administrators, but they think that they are. And the lure, especially in Southern West Virginia around a college degree is that, uh, You can just jump into the world, into any position that you want. That's not how it works, man. It's a competitive environment. It's global. Yeah,
1: because well, those those uh, polls that you were talking about, they ask college graduates, they ask bachelors to, um, you know, bachelors degree holders to respond to these. um, Now, I'm not too. You know, spun up on how these polls work, but I'm assuming they say, Hey, bachelor holders uh, come in, bachelor graduates come in and uh, answer these questions. How much do you make? Do they, uh, to your knowledge, take into account if you are a recent graduate or if you graduated 30 years ago and you've been in your industry for 30 years with regards to income to how much you make?
0: Yeah. Uh, do, they, do they? Absolutely. So. That is, the, okay. uh, that is kind of like the parameter of these statistics. So how it works is you are either looking at qualitative or quantitative data. And I know that you understand this, but I'll break it down. It's just a quick statistics lesson. So the qualitative data is aiming for smaller samples of an entire population, and the quantitative is looking to gather a census of the population. So uh, by census, that means collecting all of the data, which – could also be associated with the census that is done on the population to gather data uh, about the whole population. So the United States has a census on their whole population to gather data about them. So I think that everyone's familiar with that. So essentially the data that I'm referring to is census data. This is data that is pulled from the entire population. Now I think that that is statistically likely that college graduates make $50,000. I have seen kids graduate from college and make 70, 75, 80, upwards of that. That's the high end. Now I'm talking high end. And But these kids, you have to understand, these kids are uh, deviations from average. They are far to the right side of a standard distribution. They are the smarter kids. They are gifted, if you will, higher IQs, and they're hard workers. They have grit. They have the variable personality traits that make them successful. But the average student, let's say someone who is a C's, gets degrees, uh, you know, doesn't really care about personal development and growth. They're going to fall further towards 30,000, depending on where they are geographically. um, They're going to fall closer to 30,000. So you have 80,000, 30,000. Let's split the difference at fifty-five. Okay, and we'll say that that is the statistical average. So I think that's reasonable to assume.
1: Okay, that's cool. Um, and well, especially being where you are in West Virginia, I mean, that the, the $50,000 is a hard one to cope with because we're talking about a state that has the median, and, and I've talked about this, the median income in each household is, and that's two parents working, uh, assumed right is thirty five grand. So guys are hearing, you know, fifty to sixty thousand like, I'm going to make twice as much. I'm going to live in fucking Quell Valley. I'm going to buy a brand new house. I'm going to get a Mustang. You know, and and it's just not the fact there. So um, I can see the overvaluing of of themselves simply based on the geographic location and the populace that they've been around, the the in interactions they've had on a daily basis. Because generally, if you're a smart guy, right, if you're a smart guy in southern West Virginia, chances are you're maybe an average, slightly above average guy everywhere else.
0: Correct. Correct. And, you know, with that being considered, you should also consider the fact that um, – People in West Virginia just don't have college degrees, particularly in southern West Virginia. I think it's somewhere around thirty four percent of people. Uh, it's yeah, like it's it's something like nine like percent actually. It's sub ten percent people that in- makes
1: sense. That, that that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense that's than thirty four percent.
0: Wait, that's for I was gonna
1: ask you high school graduates. I was gonna ask you if is it high school graduates? That that are counted in that, or is it total popular?
0: No. So two for two-year and four-year degrees, um, it is actually nine percent of people in the state of West Virginia for associates and bachelors. And shout out to, Cor- shout, out is- to uh, shout out to Corey Bird, the executive producer of the podcast from this end, imparting that wisdom on me,
1: dude. I fucking love Corey Bird, man. He he was in our uh, our last episode. He is the white belt West Virginia state white champ. White
0: belt West Virginia state champ, baby. That's all you gotta say. And and at one point he defeated a D one wrestler in high school wrestling prior to that kid becoming D one. Highlight of his life. He's the Jamie. He's the Jamie of our podcast.
1: Hey, hey yo, Bird. Uh look that shit up. Yeah, look hey
0: hey <laughs> Bird, just look that up for me. All right.
1: <laughs> That's awesome, hey. man. I love Bird. Um hey, hey and anybody who knows Curry Bird who knows Cory Bird, uh, if you see him, just punch him right in his fucking mouth for me and tell him it's with love from Dak. Um and so it's funny. Going back to your original point, it's funny you say that the uh, biggest mistake you see guys making is overvaluing themselves. Because in the military, if you have a transitioning veteran, the biggest issue that I see within my line of work and the the adjacent lines of work uh, that I work that I, that I'm associated with is guys leave the military right. And as a as a staff sergeant running, I'm a non-commissioned officer in charge. I got a couple guys that are under me. If I deploy, then I have a shit ton of guys that are under me that they do exactly as I say and how I say, when I say right Um, in the military. That can give you a big head if you let it. And guys get out and they think that combat leadership equates to civilian equity. Which isn't the fact. Do you know what I mean by that?
0: Interesting point, man. And I think, uh, again, that's another topic we could dive super, super deep into. Like, uh, that's a deep one, especially with uh, Jocko talking about leadership principles. And people like him and Tim Kennedy are huge proponents of hiring veterans because they believe. That that combat leadership is valuable and transitions to human capital, but I think that that's a good point that there's a difference there. I think that you have to know and you have to measure yourself and have realistic expectations for your uh, ability to perform outside of combat. But like I said, I don't want to make it. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, and I think I, so.
1: I I think there's a difference, right, between what I'm talking about and what Jocko Willink and Tim Kennedy are talking about, right? So they're talking about for for quality, right? Like the company that you're talking about, Black Rifle Coffee Company. You're talking about Origin. You're talking about uh, whatever team Kennedy is associated with, right? Uh, I think that's Black Rifle he's associated with. You're talking about these companies that are for quality. I'm talking about in in industries that are associated with for income, right? You're an income-based company, and typically within aviation, you are a for-income company. And well, for income, let's uh... for income doesn't necessarily take into regards. Uh, combat leadership, right? It doesn't matter how many lives you've saved, how many lives you've taken, or how many, anything, anything along the lines of combat, right? Uh, because a four-income company is a four-income company. And if their business isn't combat, you're not going to get what you want. Yeah. Especially if you're, if you're oriented towards I, you know, I, you know, I, this, I, that, blah, 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 blah. Didn't you know I was in the blah, 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 right? Everybody has their war stories, right? So with guys that bring those war stories to the table, it, it doesn't necessarily qualify towards for income companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think that that's all about the vision too. I think the vision is what differentiates that. So typically these for-profit companies, are publicly held companies uh, and the overall vision of a publicly held company is to, uh, according to Milton Friedman, maximize shareholder wealth. So your vision there so, is to not provide quality excellence and to, uh, you know, put these tags on it, you know, like veteran owned, which I think is totally great, but the, the vision is different. You see what I'm saying?
1: So... The company that I that I'm going to work for in September is not a publicly owned company, nor is it a veteran owned company.
0: Yeah, so it's a it's so, privately held. Uh, it's complete,
1: Yeah, it's completely independent to public versus private, and it's more keyed towards what are we doing? Are we, are we looking for Black Rifle coffee, coffee Company, where their goal is 10,000 veterans hired, right? Or are we leaning more towards a what skills do you have and what can I do to use those skills, right? Um, I, I think there's a lot of guys that may, maybe have minimal skills in the area of expertise, which I inhabit, um, and, and that my peers inhabit and, and yada, 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 right? Um, I think that's the biggest mistake I see leaving the military is guys think that the combat leadership, that combat uh basically experience equates to um, you know maybe I have X number of deployments so guys that guys that have five deployments to combat zones think that it equates to a hundred grand versus the guys that have three combat deployments uh, they think they should earn 80 grand right something like that right it, it, it's along those same lines fudge numbers but um, it's something that I see leaving the military an overvalue of oneself based on uh, these principles that are overwhelmingly um, just inaccurate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, again, this is an interesting topic. And that's why I think that this podcast is kind of unveiling, again, kind of like what Jocko talks about, the parallels between – the civilian community, and the military communities. I think that's important to recognize so that we can minimize the distance between those two communities. I think that that's absolutely critical. And you and I have both talked about this. When you and I work together from our experiences, uh, we're a great team. We both bring unique skills to the table. So minimizing that distance is awesome. And I think that that's what we're doing. And I think it's just been, it's been cool to talk about.
1: Are you talking about from the time you were 12 years old, pitching asphalt or um, are you talking about recently as adults?
0: I think always. Um, I think, you know, uh, there's always been an interesting parallel between us, you know, for anyone who knows us a lot of like, but incredibly different. Um, And our experiences are only further highlighting that. And again, talking about it and publicly kind of makes us speak more civil and uh, intelligently and logical. And I think that there's a lot of gems coming out of what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I think this was a, A really in depth, really good. I mean, super impromptu. Again, I am now at this point four fingers deep into a uh, bottle of Tito's vodka, mixed with the uh, I, I don't know what the name of it is, but the purple uh, maybe grape monster, zero calories, all that stuff. <laughs> a ton of
0: caffeine,
1: man. But that oh well yeah, it's a shit ton of caffeine. But I've been up for time is it here uh 8 15 here i've been up for like 17 hours i got up at 2 30 this morning well, and
0: uh listen. all right Su- for- all right superman nobody feels sorry for you um what hope it is what, you want. <laughs> what uh what i would like to do before we close out is kind of you and i talk about real quickly what we're going to talk about next and Coming up next, I see likely even tomorrow night or Saturday before or after the fights, we can discuss our picks for UFC 234 and uh, an episode in the future, next week, episode, uh, next Wednesday or Thursday, talk about uh, just some biology, like some Ben Greenfield stuff, biohacks. How do you get to the gym late at night? Simple stuff, quick meals.
1: Um, yeah, dude. Uh, so Saturday, I would like to record this, uh, prior to the fights solely because last time it was a Brazil card. It was Fortaleza. It was an early card. And by early card, I mean, you and I, we recorded by the time we finished, it was like 2 a.m. for you, you know? Um, so I'd like to do it before the card starts because for me, that card starts at 8 p.m. So 10 p.m. for you. Um, I would say let's do it before. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the breakdowns between uh, this Saturday, uh, and it's going to be released prior to the fights. Uh, we're going to break down Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum. I'm not going to give you my sneak peek on sneak peek on that. Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva. Uh, Ronnie Yaha versus Ricky Simon. Mata De La Rosa versus Nadia Kasim, Jim Crute versus Sam Alvey. Oh, fuck. Last one. Sam Alvey. Thank God he finally made it to a PPV.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. That guy's a dog. So, yeah, man, I'm excited to break it down with you and uh, and talk about it Saturday before the fights. Um
1: yeah. And, and, and upcoming episodes. So completely impromptu. I, I wish I was more prepared for today's episode on how um, college guys or, or, or gals, uh, recent college graduates prepare for interviews versus how uh, transitioning veterans prepare for interviews. I wish I would have known before, but that's okay. No, that's fine. You can throw me under the bus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish I would have known uh, that we were going to do this one today and I wouldn't be, you know, where I'm at right now. You know what I'm saying? No, I, th- I, think, uh, I think it
0: was awesome, <laughs> dude. I think that uh, sometimes it was one of those things. We had different things in mind, but we took the topic and ran with it and people can take what they want from it or they can fuck off.
1: At a boy. Yeah, so Um, future episodes are going to talk more towards you mentioned this before but uh you know just key mineralization uh optimizing the human body how do you stay motivated in the gym um and, and obviously that's independent of of oneself that's independent of each individual um that's redundant as fuck what i just said but anyway um we're going to do a further breakdown of that we're going to break down um <clears throat> sorry (laughs) take it away i'm dying right now
0: oh it's all good man uh yeah we're gonna break down the fights and in the future breaking down biohacks and different ways to get into the gym and stuff like that stay healthy (laughs) but um besides that man i am good to go it's been great talking to you again and looking forward to recording on saturday ufc 234 breakdowns
1: hell yeah brother We'll see how it rolls. Um, I have my picks already, but I don't want to give anything away to the listeners. Hey, dude, question. What are we going to call the listeners? Because we have almost 300 listeners. Uh, we have around about 270 right now. What are we going to call these guys? This is a uh, not a fan club, not a cult, but somewhere in between. What are we going to call these guys?
0: 300 listeners. Sounds like a bunch of fucking losers.
1: Whoa, man! Talking about our <laughs>
0: listeners, like I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. If you're well, I mean, if you're gonna sit and listen to me and this guy ramble for an hour, then you've got something going on. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 don't know, man. I guess that's TBD to be determined.
1: So, so, Cristalia calls his people babies. Um, Joe Rogan experienced guys call themselves freak bitches. Uh, that's more of an underground thing. Joe Rubin did not coin that. Uh, I, I've been toying around with it. I think that, like, the O-Cash mob, overtly casual mob, is kind of cool. The O-Cash mob. That's kind of sexy. That's you know, kind of sexy, right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of one of those things that hits. So it's uh, Up in the running is, yeah, the O-Cash mob. So, <laughs> and losers. Um, it's Oh, the losers. Hey, losers. What's up, boys? We're all losers. <laughs> I don't know. That's demeaning my boy. Demeaning my guy.
0: And freak bitches, isn't And babies?
1: Dude, babies is because Chris D'Elia has a cult. I am part of Chris D'Elia's cult. Okay? I'm a true baby. I listen to every episode. Hey, does Corey Bird have anything
0: to say today? Bird, do you have anything to say? One last closing comment. For all the listeners. Tell
1: him to speak up. Tell him to speak the fuck up.
0: He said he's good this week, man. He actually has uh, ligma. He was messing around with this thing, dude. Oh, hey, before we close out, I got to tell you this. So Charlie calls me today. He's our stepdad. And Charlie says, dude, have you heard of fentanyl? And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I've heard of fentanyl. I literally just got off this interview. And I'm like rushing him off the phone. I'm like, Charlie, dude, I'm at work. Can you... Can you call me later with this? I thought he was going to tell me about one of his dope head workers or something like that. He's like, you ever heard of fentanyl? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you ever done fentanyl? I was like, no. He said, fentanyl, all these nuts in your mouth and hung up the phone. (laughs) That's bullshit.
1: (laughs) That's fucked up. Hey, ask Bird if his case of ligma is ligma balls or ligma dick.
0: Dude, it's definitely ligma dick. I've seen it. But, dude, I actually asked Bird before he came in here. If he's ever used CDs and tape, because I was really just about oh. he was gonna he's, he's <laughs> CDs, bro he's gonna CDs CD, he's gonna see these nuts taped on his forehead. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, all right, we're drinking a monster in here at ten PM. But yeah, man, uh, I think that I think that about does it.
1: Yeah, man. Um, Hey before we before we break one more time, uh the urban dictionary version of Ligma, the it's a noun, uh top definition, it's a noun, uh a rare disease that usually Fortnite streamers carry. Shout out to Roland, aka Doland, aka Donnie, right? Understanding yeah. that Donnie is actually Johnny who's hot twin, fucks all the bitches and Johnny doesn't, um, one of those things, you know, John Boy. Um, Anyway, so shout out to Donnie, or uh, Dolan. Uh, (laughs) This disease was believed to take life of, take the life of famous streamer Ninja. Is he dead?
0: Yeah, dude, he died of Ligma. That's actually just an ongoing joke, like everyone just keeps saying that.
1: (laughs) Hey, dude, why isn't Ninja streaming right now? I don't know, dude. He probably died of Ligma. That sucks. Anyway, want to play duo?
0: <laughs> oh, God. That's disgusting.
1: Yeah, that's the top definition on Urban Dictionary with Ligma. Because I thought that you meant Burgess some form of cancer. Di-
0: disrespected his deceased father and said that he had stage four Ligma.
1: <laughs> that's all right. He's using comedy to cope with his depression. Um. Ask him if he's gonna kill himself.
0: He said, "Are you gonna kill yourself?"
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, it's 2 PC. I mean, I can't, I can't tell the viewers that. Fucking um, tell it, tell the viewers. Tell the O cash mom. Nah, 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 nah. no, nope, nope, not doing it.
1: Bert dab was gay. He died from choking on dick, guys. That's exactly what, what it was. Is it worse than that one?
0: No. He just said he was going to
1: blow his fucking brains out. He didn't say anything about his dad. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. oh, fucking hell. Anyway, man, you have any closing remarks for this one? Uh, no, sorry, I got a little tipsy on this one. Uh, sorry to the Ocash mob. I got a little tipsy. I did not expect to go that deep on this one. I tried not to slur my words, and uh, I slowed it down when I thought I was going to. So um you have anything else to add?
0: No, nah, man. Go ahead and close it.
1: Cool. Hey, guys. This has been Overtly Casual by myself, Dak, and my little brother Tyler with a special guest, Corey Bird, talking about his dead father. We're with you every Saturday with MMA fright break, fight breakdowns <laughs> and every Wednesday with a smorgasbord of shit, including how to interview Thanks for listening. See ya! Peace.